Just a quick reminder that these episodes are all backlogged, so we're probably six months away from uh, from any coronavirus talk. So you'll get a, a nice coronavirus-free um, podcast today. And uh, just so you don't freak out when you listen to this, saying why are they not uh, mentioning mentioning this at all? It's because uh, it's this has been recorded for a few while now. On with the show. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Uh, today, we'll have Ardeth Albi. Am I saying your name right there? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Of Marketing Interactions on to talk about simple B2B persona execution. Ardeth is the CEO and B2B marketing strategist of her firm, Marketing Interactions, she helps companies with complex sales develop personas and persona-driven content marketing strategies to turn prospects into buyers and convince customers to stay. Uh, Arda, thanks for coming on today. Uh, really excited to talk about this life cycle of personas and, and, and persona execution. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sky. Appreciate it. So can you tell us, before we jump all the way into the personas, a little bit more about yourself and um, kind of your journey, how you got to where you're at? Sure. Um, well, it's a bit of a different journey. I'm not a marketer by trade. I used to run companies and I was running a tech company in Minneapolis in 2000. And I think first ever iteration of kind of a marketing automation platform also designed to run your website that marketers could run themselves, kind of a new concept back in 2000. And companies would buy the software and move their corporate brochure type website, think back to 2000, what companies had as websites, right? They'd move their corporate brochure website into the new technology, and then they'd say, well, nothing changed. And so as the only non-techie in this startup, I started looking at their content and thinking, well, this is terrible. You know, it's not, <laughs> not very engaging. So there's and a reason started, nothing changed. Right. And so I started helping them revise their content and and my background, in addition to um, running companies, is I have a degree in English, and I used to write fiction. So I write novel-length fiction, and uh, actually finaled in a couple of contests with novels and what have you. But building a character that can sustain a 400-page novel is quite a bit like building a persona. And so I took what I knew about running business and what I knew about building characters and created the methodology that I use to build personas and you know more of our customers started asking me for more and more help and so in 2007 i discovered that i could actually earn a living doing this and move back to warm sunny california <laughs> and so i jumped and became a persona and have been building personas ever since i've built hundreds of them along with content marketing strategies for execution so you came to it from the storytelling side of things with with your writing background I did. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's a great thing to be bringing to marketing. I think it's, uh, I mean, you've been doing just fine for yourself, but it seems like kind of a heyday for storytelling and marketing. Now, uh, I feel like we might be getting over the MarTech crunch of, you know, MarTech is going to solve every problem and getting back to the marketers focusing on telling stories and, doing compelling things for their audience. I certainly hope so. I, I worry every once in a while that marketers think data is the answer to everything, but data doesn't tell you everything. So it yeah. doesn't tell you the why somebody did something. As know? a data company, I would say it's really important, but it's an important foundational piece to have. It is not your marketing. It's, you know, it's the foundation of your house. You don't see it. You don't really think about it, but it needs to be good kind of. Yeah, it does. And I, I'm a huge proponent for data. I'm kind of a data junkie, but you have to have the qualitative stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, if you can use the data, and I'm talking about small data, not kind of big data, but uh, if you can use the data to help you have enough information about your target audience to know what, you know, what persona they are, that's really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it's just that. It's a really necessary foundational piece. But ultimately, hopefully, marketers can spend more time again, again, telling stories and then the data will connect that to the, you know, through the persona, what's the right persona to tell what's, you know, what story to type of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
so getting around to that, I've got it kind of chopped up into a couple sections here. Um, the process of persona creation, then the content creation, then the execution using using these personas. Do you want to jump right in? Or I guess before we even jump in, for some listeners, can you explain what a marketing persona is? Sure. A marketing persona is, or a buyer persona, if you will, is a composite sketch of your target audience that focuses on the commonalities amongst that target audience so that you can reach a wider swath of the audience um, with, you know, one-to-many marketing, which is how we start demand gen at the top of the funnel, right? And so, for example, it's not important that you know that your customer max drives a Corvette because how many people would, you know? So what we're looking for are all the things that they have in common. So when you're interviewing your customers and you're looking at your customers, you're looking for what do they care about? What resonates with them? Right. And that that's a common thing, right? You know, what pain points are they solving? Not just for individual cases, you'll get to that. Who needs that is sales, right? And when you get further down the funnel, you need more of the one-to-one, but as marketers at the top of the funnel, our job is um, creating leads and we need to reach as wide a swath of our target audiences as possible. And so, so is it basically saying, here's some groups that are relevant within my target audience, and I want to group everybody into one of these, and maybe you have a lot of different things. So traditional marketers might think, oh, we have all these target industries. We can separate them out. Instead of marketing to them all the same, we'll market to them each individually for their vertical. Um, is it, is it similar to that, but on the persona side? So saying, finding something that they all fit in a bucket and then finding out which bucket they fit in in order to kind of create a, a character. Yeah, somewhat. The mistake that marketers make is that they base person personas on title. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they may say we're marketing to a VP of marketing, um, or a director of marketing thinking those are two different titles but it depends on the roles and responsibilities and what problem they're solving, right? So a VP of marketing in an SMB could be the equivalent to a director of marketing in an enterprise, in which case a lot of things could be similar, except in an SMB, the VP may wear more hats, where in an enterprise, they're more specialized. So what you wanna look at is the role and responsibilities, what they're responsible for achieving, right? What problem does your solution solve? Uh, and all the people that are charged with that are who you want to market to. The other thing that makes titles a bit hazardous is, you know, have you looked at the titles lately? <laughs> you know, chief cook and bottle washer and chief customer evangelist and all kinds of weird titles that, you know, if you tried to create, I had somebody call me the other day and say, we've identified 52 personas. And, and I was like, um, go shoot yourself now. You don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm getting the feeling you're saying 52 is a little bit too many personas. Yeah. Most of my customers have three to five, you know, and some even start with one just as a proof of concept to say, right. what's the difference if we build one and execute against that persona, is it going to be different than just doing general marketing like we've been doing? So they'll have their general marketing and then they'll just they'll carve out from that one persona where they say, you know, we, we've got a message for this one niche within our general market. Right. Yeah. Because the, the whole thing is, is that, you know, let's say like my, my potential client that had 52, we narrowed it down to 11 and then we discovered their team isn't big enough to address the 11 personas. So building 11 mm -hmm. would have been a waste of money and time and resource because they're going to change down the road. It doesn't take that long before it's, things shift. Interesting. And so what you want to do is only develop the personas you can address. Right? That's a great, that's kind of like what exercise is the best, the one you'll actually do. It doesn't matter if 11, you have 11 great personas, if your team can't come up with 11, if they just don't have the resources to do 11 different campaigns and creatives and, and whatnot. Right. And, and so, you know, we, I actually discovered with a client that um, we built personas and then a couple of years down the road, we did, or it was about a year and a half, I guess. And we did a kind of a refresh exercise and we went back and talked to the sales team and discovered there was a whole different persona they were now talking to because buying teams had expanded. And right. we didn't know they weren't even on our radar. 
And so we had to quickly go out and assemble that persona, talk to customers, you know, that were in that role and figure out how to be relevant to them because we didn't have content that addressed them. And they were a different enough role that, you know, we needed to get on that right away. And that was within a year and a half. So that changed really quickly for another client. What we found out um, less than a year after we built the personas, they had their user conference and in a panel of um, people that rep were representative of one of our personas, they were, had, were saying things t quite different about one aspect of their role that, you know, hadn't been that way just six or eight months before when we built personas. And we were getting ready to create a bunch of content about that. We had to shift really fast. Right. So, so this is really a human element thing where you have to have a, a, a person looking at this, thinking about it all the time and saying, like you would with your overall marketing, has the whole market shifted? You're looking at individual personas. Has this persona shifted? Mm -hmm. um, has, has our buying audience shifted to where we need to add people? Maybe you adjust your product some and suddenly there's a whole new used to sell only to marketing people and now you sell the salespeople as well. And there's this huge market that opens up or I, I think you see some products that aren't being successful and they shift who they're marketing to, who they're trying to sell it to and change the messaging a little bit and suddenly it explodes and they say, Oh, okay. We had the wrong persona overall that we were reaching out to. Yeah, um, that's true. But you know, one of the things that I find is shifting things a lot is digital transformation. A lot of my clients are tech companies. And so you know, depending on the maturity of a company's digital transformation, you know, once they've solved some of the problems, you know, moving to the cloud and, and getting things more in systems, more integrated and that kind of thing, it changes the way they look at how they solve problems and it changes the criteria for solving problems. And so that can shift a lot of things as well. So, so I thought this conversation was going to go towards more personas, more personas, more personas. And then right off the bat, you say like three to five personas, only as many as your team can handle. And it seems like also, so you're obviously a big fan of personas, of creating personas and, and using them and whatnot. But I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you're saying don't go crazy with them. You can't have a persona for every, you know, for every company or for every contact you're pursuing. There's a lot of things that, limit how many personas to have. And it seems like if you're in an industry that's shifting quickly, you probably want to have less personas because they're going to be changing faster and you're not going to be able to keep up with, with adjusting them. Well, that's true, but there's also another aspect of it and it's the type of persona or the depth of persona that you choose to create. So for example, there's going to be influencers in every complex B2B sale. They may only come in or let's say you're selling a solution to HR or to marketing or finance or something, at some point, IT is going to come in and validate, right? But they're only going to be involved for a short period of time, right, to evaluate. So how much content do you need to create for them? Probably right. a few pieces, right, specific. Um, and so you don't need to go all out and build a really deep persona for them. What you need to figure out is, you know, where are they involved? What do they care about? And create content for them that your primary persona can pass on to them that will help them get on board, right? And say, this solution is the right one for us. But you don't need to create um, content across the entire buying process for them because they're not involved. So why waste your time and resources? Right. So, so you kind of find out where they, where different personas in a large buying experience, let's say a complex sale, where different personas are going to come in. And this gets kind of the next next part a little bit. I do want to focus more on the creation part but uh, of the persona, but the content creation to give everybody some context. The purpose of creating, or maybe the main purpose for creating these personas is to know what type of content, what type of stories to tell, what type of information you need to provide to help best present your product. Um, and that's not necessarily for every again, in a complex sale along the sales cycle, you, if you identify key people, like you said, IT needs to step in and put their stamp of approval maybe on a new CRM or, or whatever it is in a complex sale. You just have to know the point in the sales cycle that they're going to be evaluating it to create for their persona content that sells them on, you know, whatever it is they're evaluating. Um, it reminds me of going to events. They always have pages saying, hey, if you need to, convince your boss 
to let you go to this conference. Here's the talking points. Uh, <laughs> here's the sales points when you go pitch them to say, let me go to this conference. And then they'll have another um, pitch for the boss the, the, themselves saying, here's why you should go or you should send your people. So they've kind of segmented it out to the different different personas with completely different sometimes uh, pitches with the benefits and, and, and whatnot ongoing. Well, sure. An example of that for normal B2B um, selling would be a CMO or a C-suite executive who, you know, all of my customers come to me and they say, we need to reach the C-suite with whoever that CXO is. And I'm kind of like, no, you don't because you're not strategic enough. They're going to delegate it. They're going to be involved at some point. So you need some high level thought leadership content that makes them aware of you. So it's not, you know, blindsiding them when you're presenting it so that they're in favor of you when you get there. But you don't need a full-fledged C-suite persona most of the time, and you know, unless you're selling to SMBs where the CEO or the CEO or whoever is going to be involved all the time, right? Right. But at an enterprise level, which is a lot of my clients, you don't need a C-suite full-blown. You're persona. wasting your time. Yeah. They, yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm in the SMB space, and half the stuff that I get, I ignore. I don't have time to look at the the creative, the content. It's too long. I tell people if it's beyond three bullet points. And you're something that I'm not looking for and aware of. I'm not going to look at your email. I'm not going to look at your anything. If I have a whole story, multiple paragraphs at the beginning of trying to approach me, I'm not getting through those paragraphs. (laughs) As soon as I see that, I'm moving on. I'm busy with other stuff. So how much, I guess in creating personas, how much do people need to consider the, the perceived amount of time their target audience will have to um, to take in their message, uh, you know, that kind of thing. If you're going to send emails, if you're going to send packages, stuff like that, you can put a whole lot of time and energy into the creative. It can, it can go to waste if you're targeting people who need a three second soundbite, you know, they need a couple bullet points to, to wet their beak kind of a thing. Right. Well, this is where relevance becomes really important and short emails right to the point, something hard hitting that they say, what does that mean? I need to look at it. But the other thing that's really come about lately is experience platforms like Uberflip or Path Factory or Folos or whatever. So, for example, when people get time, because they have a day job, right? Their job isn't just buying what you're selling. And so when they get time and they get interested, are you presenting content in a way that provides that experience for as much or as little as they want to consume? Because if today is their day to do their research, you better be ready to give it to them. And what I find with a lot of companies is they'll send out one key piece. And if somebody engages with it and they're, you know, like, tell me more, there isn't any more. They haven't connected it to anything else. Interesting. There's nowhere for that prospect to go. And if you think they're going to, of their own volition, go out to your website and dig around trying to find what's next, you're, you're crazy because they're not going to, they don't have time. So we need to be prepared for when they have time to binge, as I call it, that we've got content there for them if they want that, you know, and that builds the story in a way that makes sense to them, which is why it's so important that we talk to them and understand their perspective rather than just making it up, sitting around a table eating pizza with the marketing. So you're saying you don't really want just a, a checklist of 10 bullet points about your product but you also don't just want an ebook because you know they they might have time for one they might have time for the other and you're losing a lot of prospects if if you just if you make the one either the long or the short creative only right and most of the time they don't care a hoot about your product what they care about is what it's going to do for them right what problem is it going to solve how is their life going to be better can they see the future being different and better and helping them get what they need by using your product you know, by the time they get to, let me see all the different features and functionality and all of that, they're engaged. They're with you. You know, they want to learn more and explore it. And some of that has to be available, but really um, that's, in in my opinion, comes into play when they get closer to, I want to talk to a sales rep. So you've got to convince them that, you know, it's actually better to solve the problem because what happens with buyers is that the first thing they're going to do is try to figure out, is it worth solving? The second thing they're going to do is say, can we solve it internally with what we already have? And I've heard this again and again when I talk to customers and interview them for personas. And I say, well, talk to me about what you did. How'd you go through this? And they'll say, well, you know, first we had to figure out 
that it was worth solving. And then we went and looked at what other systems do we have or processes do we have? Can we modify them to solve this problem? And then when we figure out we can't or we don't have the right stuff or what we have is old legacy, it's not worth adapting anymore, we'll break it, you know, that we need to go buy something new. And so then they start looking, you know, and they start trying to figure out. And the next thing they do in this day and age is they ask their network. You know, they ask their peers and their colleagues, what have you heard about, you know, nine times out of 10, one of the biggest challenges I have when I'm talking to customers is that they were referred in. And so trying to figure out how do you help the company, you know, reach people in market, you know, without reach is very difficult at times because it's like they, they were either referred in or they went to a review site and evaluated, you know, based on what other customers said, those kinds of things. And so, you know, that's one of the things that's changed a lot in the last few years. Interesting. Interesting. I, I want to jump back before the, um, before we take a break here, we have a little bit of time. I want to make sure we can nail down the persona creation because we need to get to content creation execution. Mm -hmm. um, so can we go back and focus on persona creation? Sure. Uh, I think people have an understanding of, of kind of what a persona is. Yes, it involves the title within a company, but it's not just that. Um, so so we you've got an idea of what the persona is when going in to create a persona. I know this is what you guys do there. If somebody wants to create, let's say they're, one to two personas out of their general marketing, where should they start? And, you know, maybe it, it may vary greatly from company to company. So if you want to use a specific uh, hypothetical company, um, if that would help, go for it. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it always varies, but the process is pretty similar. The first thing that you want to do is talk to your sales team. Because if you build personas and they're not the people your sales team are talking to or comfortable talking to, you just wasted a whole lot of time and energy. Right, because you're going to be generating leads and nurturing leads that sales doesn't want to talk to. So you need to talk yeah. to sales and figure out who really are the people that they're talking to, you know, and and that kind of thing. So I always interview the sales team first after I've learned about the product. I've seen that with with some marketers, they they look at who they do business with, and that's who they create stuff around, and so they end up having the final decision maker as who they're creating personas and creative and their marketing campaigns for. But if they go talk to sales, they find out that that's almost never the entry point. They almost mm -hmm. always start with someone else. So they're marketing to the final person, which prevents the sales team from ever getting to the initial person that, you know, that final person, maybe it is a C-level person that eventually ends up overseeing the, the purchase or whatnot, but they never answer the initial you know, campaign outreach, they're never involved in that part, it gets eventually escalated to them. So I think, yeah, talking to sales and making sure their point of contact, not just their final point that you see in the CRM, um, to, to create the, the personas is really critical. It's really critical. And then once you've determined that, and, and this is a key for a lot of my clients is you got to get sales on board and to buy in because for a lot of my clients, marketing doesn't own the customer. So it's not like they can just, you know, go cultivate a list and do outreach and go to speak with them without getting permission from the account execs or the sales reps or whoever, you know, to, or customer success or whoever it is that we can talk to them, right? Because customer relationships are, you know, can be in flux. So we have to get approval to talk to them. And if we don't get the sales team on board, it's very hard sometimes to get access. And so... You know, but but to build solid personas, we need to actually talk to the customers that are in those roles, representative of our personas, and we need to understand how they describe the problem in their own words. Because we have all this marketing speak that we put on our websites and whatever else. Nine times out of ten, it's not the way your customer would describe what you do or how they talk about their problem or whatever else. And so you know, when this all go, filters into content creation, right? What words are you going to use in your content? How are you going to talk about the problem to solution journey? And it needs to be stuff that resonates with your personas. So you need to hear in their own words, what their perspective is, you know, how they're coming to the problem, you know, what challenges they're facing and navigating the buying process, all of this stuff so that you can actually create content that is relevant to them and your personas need to have that level of information. And so right. one of the things that I see a lot when people are 
creating personas is there's this great picture you know and all of mine have pictures of course you can relate to them but then it says you know is married with two kids makes 150,000 a year lives in the suburbs and drives a Volvo who cares you cannot use that information instead what you want to know is how long they've been in their career do they tend to stay in their job for a long period of time which means they know where the bodies are buried how to get stuff done you know that kind of thing are they seen as a mentor by their team are they really detail oriented like stereotypical would be engineer right so you want to get stick with the facts and not give them the fluff because they'll just throw it out you know so what's their orientation from a professional perspective Right? right? How do they view things? That's way more important than, you know, they shop at Amazon. Who cares? Unless you're selling through Amazon, you know? Right. But, it sounds almost like when you're creating the persona, it's a part of it is like creating um, the, the old role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons. They would create characters and they would have all these different attributes to them. So it wasn't just how tall is somebody. It wasn't just their title, but you have these, these things you know, that, that you're talking about that are more, um, get to more who they are as a person that, that the marketing can, can speak to, um, ra rather than just, you know, what state do they live in stuff like that. You need to know those kind of things maybe. Um, but you're saying you need to build out, you need to identify probably working with your sales team, right? What, what things are, would really need to be known. And then I guess talking to the people also, maybe you find out, oh, here's what they really care about. And your sales team isn't going to know necessarily. They don't seem to either be that perceptive or they can't put it into words. Maybe. Right. But I'll give you an example. So in one persona project, what we found was that the um, persona we were building tended to, <clears throat> excuse me, think about things in terms of the success of their team rather than their personal success. And right. so the way that we, Amplified engagement was to write all our content with emphasis on what it did for the team, not for her. And so that, uh, you know, and, and we saw that repeatedly in all the customers we talked to, whether female or male, they were really about, you know, their team. And so by orienting your content around what it can do for the team specifically instead of just for the company or for the person, you know, the persona or whatever, we were able to really increase engagement because it resonated more so with them because that was a primary care that they had from a right right i guess maybe a better analogy would be in in poker a lot of poker play, players categorize the people they're playing against with their mm -hmm. style so you're yeah. saying this person really cares about uh, how this affects the team and the success of the team another person might be mostly focused on things that save them time and energy, you know, <laughs> maybe you flag somebody as, I don't know if you call it the lazy group or what you call it, but like their main thing, their main motivation point is, is this going to save me time? That's their personal pain point versus company pain point. Right, exactly. And so you need to understand those dynamics because it influences how you orient your content and the way you orient your content is going to depend on whether they engage or not, you know, and how much they engage. Mm-hmm. So you're creating the personas, you're saying, bring the sales team on board, interact with them, um, and then actually talk to some of these customers to try to figure out what, um, you know, what buckets, I guess, you need to create for the persona creation, mm -hmm. and then maybe what, which ones you can't even create. Because if you're looking to say, are people motivated by their personal interests or the company interests, maybe, is it, this is going to make me look good, or is this is going to make the company successful type of a thing? Um, or, and you know, know how you find that out? <laughs> I'll give you a tip. One of my favorite things is I live on LinkedIn when I'm building personas. Where else is there a site where people write their own professional resume, background, whatever on it, and other people give them recommendations and comment about their personality when they work with them? And so what you find, like I'll review a hundred profiles for somebody that you know, representative of a persona that I'm building. Some of them are useless, but you get to the point where you start seeing recommendations on profiles. And Sally was a great mentor to me. And there's a version of that kind of statement across, you know, 10 or 20 of the profiles you look at and you can figure, okay, people that are, you know, enjoy being mentors or oriented as mentors tend to be in this role. 
So LinkedIn can tell you an awful lot. They, it can also tell you how they write about what they do, can tell you also, you know, different phrases and words and things that will resonate with them. But the other site that's really cool is crystalnose.com, which is a personality. It's an AI-driven site. Are you familiar with it? I have heard of it. Yeah, I've, I, I remember looking at it. It hasn't been a while, but uh, it seemed interesting in what they were trying to do there. Yeah, and so you can you can look people up, and they've created 16 archetypes of different kinds of people and their tendencies, and they're about 80% correct. And right. In fact, I just looked up um, all the people on a team within a client that I'm working with to figure out the dynamics to get people to you know work with each other on this project, and it and it was so accurate, it was it almost made me laugh. But I spend time out there looking up you know different profiles that I've looked at on LinkedIn, and they actually have a a Chrome plugin so I can look at their personalities while I'm looking at their profile on LinkedIn. Nice. So that was kind of my big question on this was, and that the crystal nose seems to be getting more towards the Dungeons and Dragons, like really getting into what type of person is this? What, you know, what are their personal attributes, which for a lot of things can be extremely difficult to tell. You know, you can come up with something where you say, Hey, we want to know if the person is this or this, but without having a long interview with them, it seems like you kind of have to interview some customers, some prospects, and then you have to find things where you can find signals for that. So mm-hmm. you might be able to say, oh, we're going to target these people um, because they live in cold states and these people live in warm states and separate it out that way. Uh, you know, that, that could be part of a persona hypothetically. But if you're looking for people and their motivations, are they motivated for the company or for themselves personally, it can be really difficult to get any signals that that would tell you, you know, what, what they're like personally, what their motivations are without each individual contact, you know, looking at their LinkedIn profile and pouring over it. So how much of this is having to find, you know, there's certain things maybe you'd love to know in the persona, but there's just no way of, of knowing that about uh, a larger target audience. Well, you get to, you get to the point where you, I've been doing this for so long that, for example, I know when I reach a point where I'm hearing the same stuff in interviews, I'm saturated. I'm not going to learn anything really different that at least it's not just unique to that one person because I'm hearing the same stuff again and again. That's when I know I've got to the point where I don't need to talk to anybody else because I've got it pretty well narrowed down what the common things are across them. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's the same thing with looking at profiles. What you want is to see repetition. Like, you know, I just saw 10 profiles for this role that all said the same, the same kind of phrase in them, you know, and, and that type of thing. So you're looking at stuff that's common. And so, and you can do the same thing with crystal nose. Um, some of the things that, you know, you look for things that you can work with. So for example, in crystal nose for a certain archetype, one of the key traits may be really likes the big picture, doesn't like the details. So you were going to give them higher level thought leadership, maybe, right? Right. And something that is more detailed and specific that gets more into the weeds, you know, where another archetype might like more of the weeds kind of content. And so you're looking for trends, you know, that you can see, and it's never going to be perfect. There are always, of course, going to be people who don't fit that profile, but we're trying to do the best we can and reach the widest swath of our target market, you know, with, with relevant thoughts and ideas. And so at some point you have to punt and, you know, after building, I don't know, I've built probably four or 500 personas in the last, you know, 12 years, you get to a point where you get a feel for it and you know that you've gotten to the point where you're going to be pretty right on. And, you know, it's never a hundred percent. There's always that oddball customer that's going to be different, you know? Yeah. It seems like there's two different, angles to take here. You can take a large audience and say, look to chop them up into multiple personas to say, which are they this or they this for this person? Um, In which case you need an indicator that tells you if they're, you know, more motivated by A versus B kind of, or you can take a something that's already kind of a subset of your marketing, maybe a specific title group, specific vertical, whatever it is that you've already identified some some, some things that separate them from the other people and then go in and look for their specific motivations. And maybe you have 10 different areas you'd like to know about and you find within that group, there's commonality in three or four of them. And Mm -hmm. so those can be part of your persona, but the others are kind of across the board 
So you can say within this group of people, here's some commonality that we can focus on. Now we have all these other areas we'd like to include in the persona, but you just, you can't find it out for every single person. You can't, you can't find a subset where they all have that trait. Um, so is it kind of, I mean, you can work at it from both ends, it seems like? You have to get beyond the one-to-one thing because you're not going to be able to do that from a marketing perspective right. necessarily. But what I have done in some instances where it's like two traits appear just as strong is done an A-B test. Let's put write content based on this one and let's write content based on that one and see which one resonates better. And in some cases, we've kept both you know, and watch to see who engages with which one, because then it can trigger, okay, let's add them to this stream and, or let's add them to that stream. Um, so you so, may say within this title group, within this industry, within this company size, um, we've kind of identified, here's some motivators for these, for this particular group of people that we can, that we can have as part of their persona and focus on with our creative. Um, but then here's these other aspects of who they are, that they, you know, there tends to be two or three different directions they go. So maybe you have, like you said, in your campaigns, maybe you have one email that focuses on each so that you're covering all of them um, under that umbrella. Does that, am I getting the right uh, idea here? Yeah, you can. One of the things that you have to be careful about is that you're just not spraying and praying. So in other words, one of the things a persona should help you do is create a content strategy or storyline that addresses you know how the how the prospect or persona is going to get from status quo where they are today to buying your solution at the end and so you can't get lost in meandering through the weeds with this thing and one of the things that really helps you do this when you're creating personas is to figure out what are all the questions that they are going to ask so if they're sitting in status quo they're sitting in a place of why should i care what difference is this going to make for me versus if they've already decided they have to solve the problem, their question might be, you know, what are best practices? What are my options? Which vendors can I choose from? What are my peers saying? Whatever. But you come up with all the different questions that they're going to ask across the buying process. And you get this from your interviews, what they say, as well as from what your sales team hears, the questions they get asked. And the cool thing about questions is they almost self-organize right? Like they're not going to ask, why should I care in the middle of the process? Right. right? And it tells you what they care about. You may have a ton of functions and if they only ask about one of them, then you know what to focus on. Right. But the thing about the questions is, so they organize themselves. You can kind of get the flow, even if they may not access content linearly, the questions will fall that way. So you can create a storyline. The way you answer them then becomes your content. So, you, you know, if you're, creating content that answers every step of where, you know, things they need to know about and you're presenting it in a way in which they can access the parts, the questions they haven't got answered for themselves and then back up if they say, Oh, wait a minute, you know, I need to know this other thing. If you can do it like that, then your personas are actively driving your content marketing strategy based on what they care about. And that is the whole secret of, of having personas the whole reason to have them. They need to be a tool that informs your content marketing strategy. And not a lot of personas are built to have that much insight that will help you construct that. So if you have a, a market segment and you, let's say, talk to 15 people within that segment and they all ask the same question, then that mm-hmm. question needs to be in your content for mm-hmm. the answer to that question needs to be in your content for that uh, for that audience segment, basically, and for the persona that's created from, from that uh, process. Absolutely. And so the other cool thing about questions is if you think about what a conversation is, it's just like you and I are having. You're asking me questions and I'm answering them, right? So it's kind of a Q&A. You know, if you think about any conversation, when you walk up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm fine. How are you? Did you see blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I did. What'd you think about this? You know, it's a series of Q&A. And so if you have questions, you can now get to the point where you can create a more conversational experience, you know, plus you've done your work, you've talked to them, you understand how they talk, what phrases they use, what's important to them. You can now construct your content marketing strategy in a way where it's an experience, it's a conversation, it's engaging, 
and it leads them to ask the next question, right? So if you have a series of questions you're answering, you can construct your content to lead the witness, if you will, right? Right. How are you going to get them to ask the next question that makes sense, given the one, the answer they just got? Because you already know the next question because you've done this process. Right, exactly. Fantastic. I want to take a quick break. Um, when we get back, I want to focus uh, a little bit on the content creation and execution aspects of this. We'll also run through a really quick persona creation, if, if you don't mind, uh, Ardath, um a really quick persona creation with just one or two points on a hypothetical for, for people so they can, cause I feel like we've been getting uh, kind of a, out in the ether with this stuff. Um, so over the break, if you could think about that, just a, a couple things to focus down to on a, you know, company ABC for a, for a persona, and then we'll get on to the content creation and execution aspects of it. Thank you for listening to the, if you market podcast, we will be right back. Are you a marketer on the line for more customers, more revenue, or more leads to sales? My name's Guy Alif, and I'm a marketer and CEO and co-founder of Intellimize. We can help you by automatically optimizing your website. We will personalize it for each unique visitor in the moment to drive those customer revenue or leads to sales goals that you have. If you'd like to learn more, check us out at Intellimize.com. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Guy Cassidy. I have uh, Ardath Albi here with us today talking about persona creation and I guess you'd say simple B2B persona execution. So that covers everything from the creation to the content creation and execution of campaigns with, with those personas. So Ardath, before the break, we were talking about the persona creation and I was saying I'd like to get a a quick example of a persona creation and i think we have come to the conclusion that that might not be the bet putting the word quick in front of that is not a great idea yeah that's true (laughs) so i think the best thing for the listeners here and this will be on the show notes so you don't have to try to scribble this down or anything like that but go to the buyer persona section of uh of artist's company's website um for what um it's marketinginteractions.com is that right yeah yeah, marketinginteractions.com. Again, forget I said that. Just remember, it'll be in the show notes. Go check it there. Um, or, or if you're in front of a computer, go ahead and type it in. But you can, you can go there and you can, you can see the buyer persona section and, uh, and get a, a better idea of that than we could probably go into here um, just in, in audio. So to recap a little bit, Arath, we talked about the persona creation, talking to the sales team to make sure you're starting at the right point, getting them on board so you can pursue these people and and have interviews with them and gather questions and and answers that are relevant to them. Now from that, it seems the next step we kind of touched on, but which would be step four is building out these personas. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the building out the personas section, right now we have a general target audience for the marketing. We've, we've taken some of these people, done interviews with them. I think you said maybe a dozen people, something like that within a, a segment is a, is a lot of work. So that's a pretty good um, section. But then you don't want to just, um, you don't want to just use those people as the whole universe. You want to try to apply what you've learned from them across the rest of the segment and to make sure that applies. So can you speak to the next step here of actually building out the personas and other than the Q&A, what else is going to go into that? Yeah, so building out the personas is really dependent on the information you get in the interviews. And so um, I have a series of questions I've created because you're not going to get more than 30 minutes with a customer to interview them. And so you need to make every question count and they need to be open-ended. So it's inviting them to share with you their, you know, you don't want any yes or no questions. And so everything from tell me about your role and responsibility, which feeds into what I call a day in the life, right, is, which is a first person summary of your persona talking to you that, you know, people who write your content can read and kind of step into their shoes so they know who they're talking to when they're writing content to what are their main objectives and priorities and what are their biggest problems that they're facing that are keeping them from reaching those objectives, right? And then the Q&A, of course, the questions that they ask. And what do they prefer from a format perspective? And here's why this is really critical. You need to, you know, you're going to have to create content, but what content should you create? What kind? And 
you know, so one persona you know, might prefer email, another persona, you really need stuff online right. on a website, it, it kind of uh, that type of a thing. Right. But here's, here's the thing that I find really interesting. All you hear about these days is video, for example. You hear, you know, marketers are increasing their investment in video, blah, blah, blah. I think that's most a fad. Of, I don't most know. Most of the customers I talk to don't want video. Here's yeah. why. They can't download it and save it like they can a PDF, a white paper, a, even a link to a blog post in their notes files or whatever. And the part that's interesting to them, wherever that is, if they don't make note of the time, they have to watch the whole dang thing again to figure out where it is. It's hard for them to share with other people. So a lot of the, I very rarely talk to or interview customers that say, I love video. You know, some of them will say if it's a how-to video, yeah. I'll, I'll watch that. But for the most part, they, most of them want paper, white papers, blog posts, anything written that they can scan to, that they can save in a folder with their research on the project, that they, where they can highlight stuff that's important to them, easily share it with other members on the buying committee, you know, stuff like that. So you need to really ask those questions as well. What format? Where do they go to hang out? Where should you be placing your content? If they never use LinkedIn, Buying paid ads on LinkedIn isn't going to do you any good, right? Right. So you need to understand where they go, where they frequent, what kind of content they're willing to engage with. And the other reason for text content is because they're busy and they can skim it. So if you're not using headers and bullet points and whatever that helps people skim, think about that again, too. Because that's, you know, nine times out of ten, regardless of which persona I'm, I'm working on, that's something that most of them say, you know, time right. is a factor. I guess but, I'd say even also, so when you're talking about maybe they like emails, but short or long, do they like bullet points in there? Maybe they do want video, but are they going to watch a 20 minute video or a 30 second video? Like the, right. the length of the content itself, not just the, the channel that it's being delivered on. Right. And people will tell you, I'll watch a video for about 30 seconds or I'll watch a video for five minutes. You know, I had, I did one series of personas where every single persona in the group said, I love webinars and I love going to conferences. First hmm. time I've ever seen that across the board, every persona <laughs> this company, yeah. their, their people loved webinars and loved going to events. So now the company does events regionally, as well as a huge user conference every year. And um, they produce a webinar several a week, every week. And they're very well attended and it's made a huge difference because they focus their content creation on those things that, you know, most of their customers said, these are my top content preferences. And right, right. So without that, they could be throwing all their, their resources, money, time, energy into uh, content that's just not the way these people want to consume it. Right. And they still produce other kinds of content, you know, to interest people or attract people that don't know about them. But for the most part, for people that they're engaging and nurturing, they're sending them a series of webinars, you know, and inviting them to events when they hit town near them, you know, and right. whatever. So, you know, it's really important to understand those kinds of details as well as what questions do they ask? What are their pain points? You know, you need to have this well-rounded um, group of information in order to build a really solid persona that's going to help you make a difference. So you take the Q&A and you're going to boil that down to, to create your persona within the larger audience. But you've, you've interviewed a dozen people. How do you know that that dozen people actually represents the larger <coughs> audience that you're working with? Well, because I talked about LinkedIn earlier and, right. you know, going out. And so going out and looking at a bunch of profiles, uh, you know, to help validate you know, when they describe their job and their role, are you seeing the same kind of priorities that you heard your 12 customers talking about? You know, those kinds of things. Um, also, we talked about Crystal Nose, but in addition to that, I want to go out and read the latest analyst reports because I want to know what the analysts are seeing. They're doing a bunch of research and quite frankly, I'm not paying for those reports. And so I've learned that if I can go out to their website and or even do a search for specific types of research. And I find the title of the report. If I right. for it, somebody who sponsored that report is giving it away as a lead gen vehicle and I'll go fill out the form to get it. And then I'm unsubscribed from their emails later, but it's a way to get access to that information. If your company doesn't have an account with Gartner and Forrester and Sirius and you name right, it. Right, right. Now they're going to be on to you. 
And hopefully <laughs> no. they don't listen to this. <laughs> well, they should have figured it out by now. I've been doing it for years. Yeah, I'm sure it's a common practice. I know uh, a lot of people I know have their throwaway email address for that, but they don't bother to unsubscribe. They just have an email. They only check when they sign up to get something. Well, I, I don't use a fake email address because I want to see what kind of emails are going to send me. You know, That's I mean? a good point. Yeah. I'm looking at their marketing too, because I have usually a client in the same realm as them, right? If so maybe you don't unsubscribe, huh? Maybe you yeah. keep it there to keep an eye on them. Sometimes I do. Right now I I am subscribed to like five competitors to one of my clients and I'm getting all of their nurture emails. So I'm looking at their messaging, what they're saying, whether they're relevant or not, because now that I've created personas, I'm working on their content marketing strategy, right? And I want to make sure that the way we position the company is differentiated against the other um, competitors and what have you. So, you know, yeah, it's funny. I, I may, I try to filter, they really don't let you these days, but I try to filter out as little email as possible because I want to see what people are sending. I want to, I want to see the junk mail. I take uh, some, a little bit of joy in seeing the terrible stuff sometimes. And then there's always some good ideas in there and you mm -hmm. can kind of see the trends and whatnot. So you're going out, you're getting um, these uh, analyst reports. You're looking at, at LinkedIn to make sure that people you talk to represent the group overall and, and seem to be this, the same type of people as, as the rest of the people within your target audience. So you might interview 10 to 12 people and then you might go out and look at a couple dozen more profiles on LinkedIn, something like that. I look at between 50 and a hundred. I really want it because some of them are useless. Let's face it. You've all seen crappy LinkedIn. All right. profiles. So out of that 50 to a hundred, half of them are going to be useless but then I get the half that really provide validation that I'm hearing the right stuff. And so however many you need to feel like you've, you're seeing the right things and it validates what you heard from the 12 you talked to, you know, that kind of thing. There've been times where I've gone back and said, I need to interview a couple more people because I'm not sure we actually got the right stuff because what I was seeing on profiles on LinkedIn wasn't exactly matching up. And so I've gone back and done a few more interviews and then said, okay, I think we're okay you know, or whatever. But right. it, Somehow you got a niche off. subset of the overall that wasn't quite representative. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I guess some things to look for there might be how long they've been on the job. If everybody you're interviewing has either been there for 10 years or just started, that could skew anything else like that, that would make maybe their situation more niche than what you're looking for overall. Right. And the other things I look for are, is there a tendency for these people to stay within the company they're at and grow up the ladder? Or do they tend to jump around every couple of years? Or even do they jump around in different industries? Or are they, right. you know, have they stayed in the same industry? So they're specialized in that industry, if you will. Right. Um, are they a mercenary uh, with, within their job type across any industry? Um, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know I see a lot of people that uh, seem to think it's a good idea to change jobs every nine months or something like that. Like they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're sought after. And uh, to me that you can wear out your welcome pretty quickly when people start noticing you don't stick around for long. Well, you can. And the other thing is I have clients that, that have a big enough sale that it's like a three-year sales cycle. And right. if everybody in that role is changing jobs every two years, what are the chances that they're actually going to be able to sell to those people? So then, you know, in situations like that, I've gone back and said, we need to look and see, is this really the primary buyer? Because how are mm -hmm. we going, we either have to speed up the sales process so they buy it before they jump, you know, or we've got to look at somebody else who has more longevity in their role who can influence it or champion it so that we don't lose the investment we've made in engaging them because they jump jobs before they can get all the way through buying the thing. Interesting. Or find a, if they're the entry point, you have to find a way to hop to the next person quickly right. and kind of get your, get sunk in there. I know it's very right. frustrating when you're working with a company, you seem to be going somewhere and then your, your point of contact leaves and you're kind of just left hanging around. Another person comes along with a different agenda, whatever, whatever it is. Um, whatever they were working on is, is kind of a, dead because they left and you know yeah, and they didn't leave on a good terms minimize it you yeah. know like oh if they were talking to you then we don't want to do that because we got rid of them type of a thing mm. um yeah now you have the stink of the previous person on you <laughs> mm. um okay so moving on from, let's say we created our persona 
you've done all this work, you got the persona down again, go check out the marketing interactions.com uh, website for more on this specific persona creation stuff. Um, we are, we, we really should chop this up into three episodes. So to the persona creation, the content creation, and then execution, but mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's mow through the content creation and execution here. Now that we have the most important foundational part of creating the persona, we've touched a little bit on it, but can you, um, can you touch over content creation and execution with this? Well, sure. Um, you know, one of the reasons to build such in-depth personas is because it's going to kind of lay out a path for you, you know, as I talked about earlier with the questions. And so you're, but it also lays out the tone and style, the flavor of it. You know, you can um, look at a question that they would have and then look back at their priorities and the problems they're facing and whatever, and figure out the right angle to take when answering the question, because you can answer questions in a bunch of different ways, right? So hopefully you've got some guidance within your persona that helps you decide which angle to go in. But the really important thing is, how are you going to build a storyline from the beginning of where they are now all the way through to when they choose to buy your solution? How are you going to support that entire buying process with content so at gonna... every stage? And marketers tend to, to create the most content. In fact, in several reports I've seen come out lately, they're creating the most content for the beginning of the funnel because a lot of marketers are charged with, you have to, um, you know, develop or create so many leads every month or quarter. Right. Right. Get so RDOT to sign up for the newsletter so we can send her the report. <laughs> that's yeah, her job. That's no longer enough. A lot of marketers now are being charged with proving contribution to revenue, you know, driving a certain amount of pipe. And in order to do that, you've got to not only generate the interest in the initial in quotes lead, but you've got to get it all the way through to, for example, one of my clients is responsible for, they don't get points until they actually get a lead in a conversation with the salesperson whether it's a demo or a phone call or whatever, until that lead speaks to someone or email exchanges with them or whatever, they don't get any credit. Right. So they've put the KPI all the way down to sales interaction. Well, yeah. And the other thing that I'm seeing too is more and more marketing teams are becoming responsible for sales enablement. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of clients engage me this this year to create um, email templates and email streams for their sales reps, right? Like how do they engage them once marketing hands them a lead? Um, How do they actually get them in conversation? So sales support almost uh, rather than just brand building and initial lead generation. Yeah. And also looking at how does the sales content that the sales reps need differ from the marketing content that we're using top of funnel because it is different, which is why I say, if you have a persona that helps you create content across the stages out answering questions, you will be creating content at some point that your sales team can use, right? Because some of those questions they're asking, they're going to be asking your sales team. So something I, I think I heard you say when we were talking earlier at one point was uh, talking about random act of content. I, I think this was yeah. off air for the listeners, but this basically helps you not have these random act of content things from marketing. Or I see marketers sometimes come up with campaigns where you're thinking, oh, it looks like they just wanted to run what they thought would be a fun campaign, but it doesn't mean it has any relation to their audience. It's just yeah. they like this animal. So they made a campaign around it or, or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. You know, and quite frankly, with marketers waste a lot of money and resource creating content that doesn't contribute to overall buying process. And some of it is, you know, for brand awareness, and that's fine and whatever. But what we really need to focus on is that content is actually has a job to do. Is it moving people to the next step? Is it getting them to make progress towards buying? Is it helping orchestrate their pathway? You know, and so content needs to be designed with that in mind. And that's what personas help you do. Instead of saying, well, it's Q1, we're going to run a campaign for Q1. And so then the end of Q1 comes and they stop the campaign and say, okay, what's our campaign for Q2? And yet their sales process takes six months, nine months, 12 months, and they just ran a three month campaign and ended it because they're bored and it's Q2 and they need a new theme. Right. They just got their leads engaged and they haven't told them the whole story and now they're moving on to something else. The lead didn't ask for that. In fact, they're sitting there going, what are you sending me now? I'm looking for more of this other stuff, right? Interesting, so, yeah. yeah we, we can't design, you know, we design campaigns in part because we like to see the clicks and the page views and the whatever, but we don't think about, are they making progress? How are we moving them forward? 
you know, and when marketing starts getting more um, KPIs, like get leads in sales conversations, if you want credit, we're going to have to start paying more attention to that. There's also, I have a client right now where marketing is not only responsible for the buying process, you know, the content that addresses that, but the onboarding and the retention and the advocacy. So the entire customer life cycle, right? So I just built advocate personas for them. You know, like how, how do we help more of our customers become advocates? What's in it for them and understanding what helps customers become advocates. So, and then remember when your buyer becomes a customer, your persona is going to be different. Nine times out of 10 in a B2B buying process, who buys the product is not necessarily who uses it and who right. uses it. So then you've got to say, okay, how did, how did my persona change? And what does the persona who is adopting and using the product need to know now? How are we going to get them to onboard, to adopt it, to make it a habit? So it gets renewed, right? So you might have a persona for the initial foot in the door in the marketing. Then you might have a persona for the actual buying process and, and purchase. And then you might have another persona for the ongoing kind of customer management and, um, you know, reoccurring sales and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You could have mm -hmm. three different people, or even maybe if you have the same person at some point, their motivations will change once they're in a different process. Right. So what happens, the question is always, you know, when people say, well, why do I need a different persona once they become a customer? Well, let's say they become a customer, they solve that problem. Now what? Right. Now where do they go? What do they need next? You know, and so you have to keep thinking about what's next, you know, what's coming in order to keep them engaged because as business models have changed, right, a lot of us are now subscription SaaS, not the big enterprise contracts we used to have that lock people in for a certain amount of time. Switching is easy. So how are we going to keep them, right? How are we going to increase customer lifetime value? What needs yeah. to change to keep us relevant? Yep. I guess the worst thing you want to have is a, a one-year contract. And at the end of, uh, it's, it's coming up and your sales guy finally reaches out to him to, um, at the end of the year and finds out they haven't really been using it at all. Um, mm -hmm. And they just kind of forgot about you. Oh yeah, we have that. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me to cancel it. Well, um, you know, because why are you going to renew shelfware, you know? <laughs> yeah. Shelfware. I like that. <laughs> okay. So we, uh, we've gone over persona creation the content creation related to persona creation, um, execution. Is there anything different? I mean, marketers are used to execution of campaigns, right? Is there anything that sticks out as, as fundamentally different for you in the execution stage when you have the, this persona creation involved? Well, the biggest thing for me is what's your call to action? What's your next step? It, don't just get them to read that one piece of content that you're sharing or emailing or whatever. What do they do next? And so we seem to, you know, create these dead ends for ourselves, where it's like, just get them to read the white paper. Well, great. What do they do after that? You know, right. so we have to think about, this is why it's so important to think about it from a beginning to middle to end process, you know, well, I guess actually getting the sales conversation, because if the marketer is graded on having the person read the white paper, then that's what their call to action is going to be. And they're going to, they're fine dead ending there. That's the end of their job. Yeah, well, the, for most marketers that I work with, that's no longer the end of their job. Yeah. So, but that's that's really the key to execution is connecting the dots for your buyers, you know, making sure that there's something next and that your content is created in a way that leads them to ask the next question, that keeps them engaged and helps them want to know more. And so we've got to hook it all together and create those storylines that make sense. Fantastic. Um, I want to uh, get some information here. This episode's gone really long. Sorry to the listeners. Hopefully uh, it's been, been enjoyable. There's so much information in here. Um, but uh, I want to get out as much information on you as I can as well. Is there anything, I guess, before we start signing off here, is there any, any last bits you'd like to, uh, to add into the conversation here? Um, no, I, I just really want to so one of the things that I see is people, um, create marketers go create personas and then they put them in the drawer. I want to see people create personas that they can actually use that actually inform their marketing strategy and make a difference. Otherwise don't do it just to check the box.
know? Yeah, I remember we had personas a while back that we printed out as wanted posters and put them on the wall <laughs> um, to make sure that they that they went noticed instead of like you said going in the in the drawer. And uh, they had like you said pictures on them. And I remember somebody coming in one time and saying, "Who is this?" I'm like, "Well, that's just kind of a hypothetical picture. It's not. It's it's not an actual person. Like, look at the stats. They're general." Um, it, this is a made up persona and they didn't quite get why we had these, these, uh, hypothetical wanted posters on the wall, but, um, yeah, I guess my clients actually refer to them by name. So mm -hmm. we have bill, the marketer, they walk around the office saying, what would bill say? Would bill engage with this? Would you know, you have to internalize them and make them part of the process. Yeah. Make them a real person enough to where when somebody walks into your office, they wonder who this person is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People hear you talking and they're like, who is this bill guy? Like, He's kind of made up, but uh, never mind that. <laughs> you know, you have to be a bit crazy to be a marketer in the first place. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah. Create some wanted posters, put them out there. So, uh, so people know, uh, know they're there and don't forget about them and, and use them in your content creation and, and, and execution. I, uh, I love it. Let me see. To find you, we have uh, marketinginteractions.com, um, spelled just how you'd think it would be. That's that's your company website. Uh, mm -hmm. On LinkedIn, uh, listeners, you can find her at Ardeth Alby. Just put her name in the search. LinkedIn's really easy. I, I think I say this every episode, but uh, I got to find a better way. I should just say look her up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, if you don't know how to find her on LinkedIn, then you're in the wrong spot. Google me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, my website, whatever. Just Google me. It's easier. Yep. Twitter. Do you want me to throw your Twitter handle out? Sure. Ardeth421. Ardeth421. And then uh, you've got a book, E-Marketing Strategies for the Complex Sale. That can be found on Amazon. We'll have a link to that on the, on the show notes for this yeah, episode as well. My, that was my first book. My second yep. book is Digital Relevance. Digital relevance. We'll have that link, uh, that Amazon link on there, and then uh, your buyer persona assessment on on your site. We'll put a link up there for you, um, so people yeah, can. So that's that's for people who may have personas and be sitting there thinking, "Is this good enough? How do I use it? Whatever, you know, go out to my site and sign up for an assessment. It's a nominal fee. You'll get a bunch of insight back and recommendations on what to do with it, how to use it, how to improve it." You know, that way you don't have to, I hate for people to have to waste the money they invested and start over. So if I can help you refine it and get it to a place where you can use it, then that's what that's for. Fantastic. So that'll be in the show notes, but that's on the marketinginteractions.com uh, website as well. We'll have, again, a link to that in the show notes. And uh, the show notes are all on ifyoumarket.com. And thank you for listening. Please share us on social media. Tell a friend. Give us a good review on iTunes. We always say any one of those three will do. And on behalf of the If You Market team and Ardeth Albi of Marketing Interactions, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with simple persona execution, they will come. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.